This episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 25th of June 2021 at home in Wicklow. Bring your walking boots, a backpack, a bottle of water and maybe a snack because we're going to go on a ramble in this episode. For a man of reasonable mental acuity, I have three senior moments (laughs) in this episode where I can't bring to mind certain names of shows, creators, etc. I can't remember the name of the author of the American play Our Wilderness in the episode. It's Eugene O'Neill and for some reason I was thinking of another American play superficially similar called Our Town by Thornton Wilder. So I got that one wrong. I didn't name the playwright in the episode, so that's okay, but it just, I couldn't bring it to mind. Then I failed to remember an English TV show, an entertainment kind of game show called Stars in Their Eyes, which features ever so briefly. Finally, I get stuck on remembering the creators of Lucky Luke, which I misidentify as a French comic book, but in fact it was Belgian and it was created by the Belgian uh, writer animator Morris or Maurice, I guess. That's M O R R I S. And his co creator in later years was Rene Gossini, who was a co creator of Asterix the Gaul. So I just thought I'd clarify that. In this episode, I talk about my relationship with hats, a very dubious haircut I once had features strongly early in the episode. I also talk about a recent blog post article that I wrote about my own then uh, my own struggle with anxiety that uh, that I was experiencing at the, experiencing at the time of writing and I talk about about the benefit of favouring response over reaction. I conclude with talking about certain aspects of my personality or certain versions of myself that dwell within. So I hope you find something you can hang a coat on and relate to. Enjoy the episode. I'll talk to you soon. Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out. How are you? Welcome back. How's everything going? You're rolling through, rolling through the days, the weeks, the months, the years, the decades. The quarter centuries. I remember that. I remember when I turned 25, I would not shut up about telling my brothers that I was a quarter of a century old. I didn't think it was old. I just thought it was a good milestone. So there you go. How many, uh, how many 25s have you got under your belt? Huh? Are you proud? You're proud to be a good age now. I was, um, I was just having a little think, a 
little think about my teaching days. And I remember I used to walk into a school where I was teaching back in the day. And I'd sit down on one of the couches in the staff room. And a teacher would say to me, So, whose hat are you wearing today, Dara? And basically what they meant was, you know, what teacher was I covering for that day? Because I had somehow ended up becoming, I think, the first call on the uh, on the sheet when a teacher was out, and I'd somehow, I'd somehow proved myself. I proved to be master of none. <laughs> so I'd get, I'd get called in to cover many different subjects, um, which probably sounds like a terrible indictment of the education system, but. Uh, what can I say? <laughs> what can I say? I'll defend my own teaching and I'll defend the judgment of those who chose to give me that work. But that was the question. Who's, whose hat are you wearing today? Or what hat do you have on today? And it might have been the English teacher or it could have been the religion teacher or it might have been a little bit of science or maths or French or Irish or woodwork. Who knows? Many different things. I mean, you know, don't get too alarmed. Teachers would leave work and certainly for the, the lower levels or the younger students, entry level uh, instruction in some of those subjects was just not a problem. And some of those subjects I had a good grounding in already. But yeah, hats, hats. I have had at different times in my life a relationship with hats Nothing fetishistic, fetishistic, that's the word, isn't it? Nothing like that, nothing pervy or weird or strange or, or queer, to use queer in uh, its original sense, odd, unusual. But um, hats, yeah, hats are featured, definitely. My mother dug out the old photo albums the other day. She was trying to find some images from our childhood and there I was beaming beaming into the camera as if I knew one day this is what I'll try this is what I want to do professionally beaming into the camera with my cheesy grin and my my lovely golden locks strawberry blonde (laughs) Um, with a bowler hat on my head yes a bowler hat which harks this harks back to episode three of the podcast when I was talking about my my affinity with clowns and those kinds of characters Charlie Chaplin comes to mind I mean I I do basically regard Charlie Chaplin as a clown in any case I had this great bowler hat and I don't know you see a kid you see a small kid with that kind of a hat that's that's instantly a little a little mark of a character isn't it I can't remember how long I had that hat but at one point it was gone. And for some reason, and I did I did talk to my mother about this the other week. For some reason, I'm convinced, or I certainly was in the past, that a Dublin bus conductor, when Dublin buses used to have conductors going around with their little machine that made that sound as they ratcheted off a little ticket for you, a Dublin bus conductor took my hat as a funny joke. I was like, what the hell? Give me back my hat. Bus was gone. Hat was gone. Bus conductor was gone with hat on the bus. 
not a good memory. Although I question, I question uh, the accuracy of that memory. Strange thing, strange thing. Another hat period came later. In my, in my teens, I became really obsessed is too strong a word, but I was very taken with, <laughs> very taken with old Hollywood gangster movies. You know, Jimmy Cagney territory, um, Paul Muni, Humphrey Bogart, um, some John Huston stuff. Maybe Key Largo comes to mind. There was a character in Key Largo. He had a bit of a look of Richard Widmark, um, not quite so maniacal, but he was kind of the uh, he was kind of the poncy one. <laughs> I said, "That's my guy." He was sort of the poncy the poncy one in the crew, and. He had, uh, you know, those kind of wide pants with the the sharp creases, uh, which were, I mean, it was a black and white movie, but, you know, they were whatever, khaki, tan, grey, perhaps. But he had a black shirt, black shirt, white braces or suspenders, and a nice tie. And then, of course, the classic gangster hat on top, which I decided was a trilby. And so, sure enough, that became my obsession to get a, a nice little version of that hat, which I did. I think my parents managed to get me one for Christmas, maybe when I was fifteen, and it was nice little a little brown one, little brown one, quite tasty, just a little bit on the small side, ever so small. But I ended up in America not long after that. About six months later, I spent a summer in Michigan. Have I mentioned this before? I spent a summer in Michigan working on a farm, baling hay. That's the first time I saw a snake in real life. I mean, not in a zoo. I was pulling a bale of hay out of a baler on the back of a trailer. I was pulling on the baler on the back of the trailer. I said, hello, sailor. No, I didn't. I said, hello, snake, because a snake suddenly came wiggling out of the bale of hay that I was pulling. And being a pasty little Irish boy uh, coming from a country where we have no snakes, because good old St. Patrick drove them out of Ireland. Very carefully, very slowly, he started in first gear, then into second, made sure all the lads had their belts on, and he drove them out of Ireland, like the nice man that he was. That was a joke. That was a joke in there, one of my favourites. The joke actually goes, what did St. Patrick say to the snakes when he was driving them out of Ireland? The answer is, are you all right there in the back, lads? Boom, boom. I'm here all week. Um, anyway, the snake. So the guy I was staying with, an old friend of my parents who had been, I think, studying in Dublin back in the day. Maybe he was studying in Dublin in the 70s. I don't know. A bit later, a bit earlier. But um, he was the farmer. So he heard my, my yelps of terror. <laughs> Stopped his tractor. Came out. Just looked at the snake. I was like, yeah, that's, that's, that's just a grass snake. Nothing to worry about. And he just grabbed it and pulled it fully out of the bale and threw it across the field. Um, yeah, I don't know if that snake kind of came looking for him later with a, a gang of pals, but uh, we weren't there to be got. Anyway, that summer, that summer, before I tell you about the hat, that summer, <laughs> going to America, and America, you know, again, teenager, You've consumed, I had consumed lots of American movies at that stage and I was utterly convinced America was 
the land of, first and foremost, sex. I can't put it any other way. I just thought, this is it. I'm 16. I'm going to America. I'm just going to be, you know, you know, knocking back the beautiful cheerleaders. <laughs> the, the beautiful young teenage um, available and sexually awakened American beauties. I was convinced this was going to happen. And so, and so I thought, well, if I'm going to America, you know, land of sex, land of all things cool, um, certainly in terms of what we got from the movies, I better look my best. And so I got a very special haircut. And this is kind of hilarious because basically, you know, I grew up in a small country town um, down in down in Wicklow, about an hour an hour and a bit south of Dublin. Um, and it was. It was a small country town. Lots of farmers, kids. You know, the kids from the town. Many of whom were pretty rough. And there wasn't a lot of cool around. You know, let's just be fair about that. You know, you're talking mid-80s um, in rural Ireland. Not a lot of cool on show in terms of, you know, style, fashion, look, vibe, edge. Anyway, I saw a guy one day walking up the street and I thought, oh, that guy has a really cool haircut. Really cool, very slick. I've no idea who that guy was, but there he was. And I thought, I want to get my hair cut like him. And so off I went. I went up to Dublin to get my hair cut. There were hairdressers or barbers in uh, in, the, in the town where I was going to school, but I used to go up to Dublin uh, once a week to go to acting classes. And up in Dublin, there were more barbers available. And I thought, well, they'll be cool up there. And I went in and I said, okay, lads, I know what I want. I want a crow's nest. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, what? And I said, it's very simple. Yeah, basically shave the sides and back of my head. And then you go into the middle of the top of my head and you shave out the middle. But you leave a ridge all the way around. Now, I thought that was the haircut that I'd seen on this guy, this cool, this one cool guy who happened to walk through the town when I was, you know, back back at home. But now I'm wondering... Did, it, did I actually see that at all? Like, did I just think I saw the haircut and think that's, thought it was what I asked for, but actually it wasn't. Like, he probably just had a little kind of slicked back, you know, semi-quiff kind of thing. And I, for some reason, thought that the top of the top of his head was shaved out in the middle. So, basically, I mean, basically, I, I you know, if, if my hair had no kind of gel or product in it and just kind of flopped down... I looked like some sort of aspirant monk. Um, and when I kind of put it up, okay, I, I guess if it was kind of spiky and shaved out in the middle, it did kind of resemble a bird's nest. Uh, or subsequently, my friends thought, no, actually, it looks like an ashtray. So maybe I can just kind of tip my cigar ash onto the top of your head. So that was the hairstyle I was rocking as an incredibly fresh-faced 16 year old heading off for my my summer of lust in in uh, rural Michigan <laughs> ah lads I mean could I have been more wrong no I could not I could not have been more wrong but there I was an Egypt and thinking yeah I'm rocking this I'm rocking this do 
and it's going to go down very well. Luckily, I also had an obsession with the aforementioned Trilby hats. And so at some point that summer, I did manage to get a very nice sized Trilby grey in colour. And I was able to put that on top of my lovely haircut so no one had to see it. And let me just clarify, I wasn't trying to hide the haircut. I was happy with the haircut. I was like, no, it's all good. It's only now when I look back, I go, no, no, it wasn't all good at all. Um, I, I, have a, I have a photo from that time. I think I was on a, a road trip with the family I was staying with. They used to go up to Stratford, Ontario once a year to the uh, Stratford Theatre Festival, which was a treat. And I remember when there, the four plays we saw were Our Wilderness. Um, now, who wrote Our Wilderness? I've gone blank on that. Hmm... Anyway, a staple of sort of small town life uh, represented on stage um, in in American theatre. And we also saw a great production of Guys and Dolls and Julius Caesar, which I loved, and Macbeth, which I had studied, uh, was studying in school, or which I'd returned that year to study for my final year of high school, secondary school, whatever. Um, But yeah, Julius Caesar was fantastic. And if my memory serves me right, I believe Colm Fiore, or Colm Fiore, F-E-O-R-E, he was in it. He might have been Cassius. He was very good anyway. But there you go. And I have a picture from that road trip, that little, well, more than road trip, like it was a week up there. We went to see, uh, we went to visit an Indian or a Native American, um, well, not a reservation, but like a, like a visitor center, I suppose. I have a photo of me standing there with the farmer and I'm wearing my trilby. I've got sort of circular mirrored sunglasses on. I'm wearing a Keith Herring t-shirt with a like a, a fist with a handcuff around it uh, with the caption resist in that distinctive Keith Herring style. Like it looks like it's kind of vibrating. And I'm wearing braces over that T-shirt, holding up my chinos. Yeah, baby, 1990. What a trip. So there you go. Hats. Hats off to you, sir. And today, as I sit here recording this, it is not a hat I'm wearing, but a bandana. Yeah, a bandana. I like an old bandana. I wore them a lot in Melbourne. Um, because I used to cycle to work all the time, and they were they were nice under the uh, under the cycling helmet. So you know, you get that question. Um, you know, when you go on, what was that show called where people used to um, do impression impersonations of famous singers and whatnot? Oh my god, can't think of it. Anyway, they used to come out and go, "Today, Matthew, I am going to be a Tour de France cyclist, and that is why I am wearing this." bandana yeah you can see it's got a nice paisley design on it um i'll I'll leave it up to you to guess who i am Uh, it's greg lamond actually i've no idea if greg lamond wore bandanas but for some reason that voice just came into my head now speaking of things in my head here's a good one so about a month ago on my blog my website theclearout.com I wrote a piece about anxiety 
about my own anxiety. I had been experiencing levels of anxiety that were uncomfortable. And I decided in my wisdom, uh, and I'm not being facetious there, I thought, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just kind of write about this. I'm going to put it out there because what I've learned over the years of writing about my sort of emotional life or my psychological state, when I can find a way to articulate it and name it, it helps me get a bit of perspective and the sharing of it sort of lessens its intensity. It sort of disempowers it to a certain extent. And it's been clear over the years that certain people who have read the things I've written um, respond very strongly to that kind of material. They respond to the to the emotional honesty, I suppose, and the kind of the vicarious giving voice to an experience that they might uh, be familiar with. Um, so in any case, yeah, about a month ago, I wrote a piece called, I've gone blank on what I call it, Fear, Anxiety and Fighting Back is what I think I call it. And it was almost exactly a month ago, um, 24th of May, I think it was, that I published it. And yeah, I got a very strong response to it from quite a few people. And um, I <laughs> like in in its almost its immediate aftermath uh, i received kind of text messages and some you know several phone calls the following morning um from concerned friends and family and you know two things one is obviously thank you thank you for you know anyone who felt they wanted to reach out and you know check in with me um i mean genuinely that's that's just lovely to think there's people who kind of who give a shit and go all right i'll just see how you are um it was not a cry for help i didn't think i was in crisis as such um but i do i definitely forget the power of the written word and (laughs) let's be fair i did depict my anxiety in very graphic terms and i'll actually read i'll read the opening section of what i wrote just to put it out there and re-clarify that i didn't undersell it i didn't sort of soften it um and maybe i did kind of lean into the dramatic side of it because that's sort of how i think that's how i try to I don't know, to capture the vivid nature of what I was experiencing. Anyway, here it is. There's no two ways about it. I'm in a spot and I'm not enjoying it. I am experiencing a moment of paralysis in my life. I find myself afraid to breathe and afraid to move for fear of breaking. My anxiety and dread sit between my shoulders at the top of my spine like an invisible parasite, waiting to cut my lifeline if I try anything stupid. I've been here before. Approximately eight and a half years ago, I was in exactly the same spot, and it eventually led to me starting this blog. The problem then, and now, is one of aimlessness and stalled momentum. The feeling is one of unseen forces waiting to pounce, just like the imaginary parasite mentioned above. 
It is a strange and unpleasant conviction of having wandered so far from a zone of competence and control that it is only a matter of time before I tumble headlong into an abyss of abject collapse and helplessness. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I look at that again and I go, yeah, okay. Kind of, kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense that people are like, uh, Dara, are you all right there? Um, <laughs> and yeah, my, my laughter. Look, it's not, it's not at all to diminish or detract from what I was feeling or saying or expressing. And it's certainly not to make little of the genuine concern and, uh, care that was sort of, um, sent in my direction um which i'm as i say i'm genuinely genuinely appreciative of that it's it's lovely when you write something that strikes a chord with people whether whether it resonates with them or whether they're just looking at you going ah jesus (laughs) you poor fecker uh here let me hold your hand for a second do you want a hug which which is how i received it you know it's just someone people reaching out and just giving you a bit of a squeeze and go listen you're all right there pal so so that was nice we interrupt this broadcast to bring you the legend of the fishy bucket. Many years ago, in the southwest of England, a dedicated band of young actors in training were plying their trade, bright, shiny, and earnest. They had just finished a performance in their own theatre space, for which an audience had paid good money. After the company had taken their bow, one among them stood forth to address the audience. The one chosen to speak was either the prettiest, or the most eloquent, or the most charming. And they held aloft a little plastic bucket, the type of thing a child would take to the beach. It was blue and had red fishies on it. A pretty and beautifully enunciated speech was made about the impoverishment of the arts and the nobility of the acting profession. The audience members were moved and found themselves once again reaching for their wallets until the fishy bucket overflowed with the demonstration of their support. This podcast has no fishy bucket. But if you enjoy what you hear, If it makes you laugh, smile, or think, there are two ways to contribute to the show's longevity and success. Wherever you are listening to this, you will find a supporter link and a Patreon link, either of which will allow you to make a donation of your choosing on a one-off or a recurring basis. I thank you for spending your time with me, and if you are in a position to, I thank you even more for spending your money. Fight the good fight. Support art and artists. And now we return you to the clear out. Funnily enough, as soon as I wrote that, 
as soon as I wrote the, the, you know, the whole piece, I mean, I went on to describe how I kind of perceived the best way to deal with anxiety. And I framed it in a sort of a martial arts context, uh, choosing safe distance, knowing when to strike, knowing when to move, being aware of who's in front of you, being aware of where the danger is coming from and trying to stay in control of how you choose to respond. I mean, that's, that's a big thing, actually. It's a huge thing I believe in is trying to be responsive as opposed to reactive. Um, I, I think I've mentioned that before in one of the episodes, but just to reiterate, I feel reactive is, being reactive is involuntary. Um, it's the 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 knee-jerk reaction, you know, the, the, the tap of the hammer on the knee, the knee below the kneecap when your your lower leg jolts out that to me is reactive it's you don't you're not really in control of your response um in as much as that i believe that's a an indication of, of health when you when you respond that way um you know literally the knee response that is i'm talking about but when stuff goes on when you're in crisis mode or shit's going down and you're sort of getting jerked violently out of your comfort zone being reactive really to me it's it's sort of just like it's a domino effect you become just another falling domino that triggers all the other dominoes to fall and i suppose what i would advocate is dare you be a domino with agency that either puts your hand against the domino that's about to fall on you to go uh-uh, i'm not getting knocked over or you step out of the line <laughs> and let someone else take the hit. Um, that sounds a bit rough, doesn't it? That sounds a bit like, yeah, all right, buddy, I'm okay. You can get in front of that car. Um, that's not what I'm saying, but it's it, the the objective. The objective is to to try and find that space. And it might just be a microsecond of available headspace um, to quickly get get between you and what's actually going to cause you to react to get between, get into that space and go, actually, I don't need to react. I can choose my response. And that is something I try to come back to again and again. Try to be in control of your response. And it's again, it's not about not feeling things. It's not about not being honest in your in your responses. Um, it's, it's not about, you know, not being emotional. I mean, all of that's real and good stuff and part of who you are. But I, I'm i really thinking more, you know, in, in times when the pressure's on, when that pressure may provoke you into suboptimal behavior. Um, I mean, I am slightly echoing some of the content from um, the last episode and controlling negative behavior, but it, it's a related area. But responding as opposed to reacting. I think if you're reacting, someone else is calling the tune. Reacting is, it's, it's the greenhorn in the, the, the Western, the, the tenderfoot, who the bad guys shoot their six guns at the ground under their, you know, under the, under the, guy, under the guy's feet and force them to dance on the spot. Um, I feel I first got that image from the Lucky Luke comics from um they're french aren't they <laughs> lucky luke and the dalton brothers is that who he had to take on oh man i loved those i thought they were so good 
and the artist was the same artist who did wait the same writer oh man which was it it wasn't it Goscinny one of the co-creators of Asterix Asterix the Gaul anyway Lucky Luke that western that kind of louche sardonic very cool western cartoon character comic book character um yeah i used to see the the naive inexperienced overly gentlemanly cowboys being made to dance dance to the tune of six guns dance greenhorn so that's reactive that's reactive not responsive and that's what i mean as the same deal i'm i've been i've just recently started teaching karate again and so in the month since i wrote that piece about fear and anxiety i've actually got very productive so maybe writing that liberated me and i'm going to say it's not maybe it's definitely i feel this is the other great benefit of articulating your pain and articulating your discomfort or articulating whatever it is that is currently oppressing you that getting it out there is a release you are unprising the claws of that little piece of oppression and releasing yourself so you can travel onwards into other areas without that that problem that plight that affliction dominating your present moment so yeah i feel it's not a coincidence at all that almost straight after uh, writing that piece i think it was two days later i launched the podcast and within a week or just over a week i was teaching karate again for the first time in a long time i had been seeking out a space uh, locally to teach and that wasn't available and i thought you know what it's the summer i've got a beautiful garden here hashtag blessed and why don't i just start teaching classes out of my garden and that's what i've done so i've been teaching karate and tai chi and it's been really nice actually really nice um so i've got some adult students for the tai chi no adults have uh, stepped forward for the karate yet but i've got a, a clatter of kids um all from my daughter's school actually so i've kind of capitalized on that little network and it's been going really well so that's been nice and obviously good for my own um my own fitness regime and just to kind of focus my karate mind again and yeah so that's been cool so the podcast and the karate and it's been a nice productive little period on top of that uh i've have i've had a job opportunity so it's all been kind of it all just it all starts happening um and so i'm basically about to start producing content that's the word isn't it content i'm about to start producing audio content which is for a meditation app um a meditation app called aura a u r a can you feel your aura and they basically pitch themselves as a meditation app and they have a lot of short 
audio content from contributors from all around the world who do guided meditations or sleep stories, uh, life coaching, a little bit of positive psychology, chanting, breathing exercises. And it's really a lot of stuff that is pretty close to my own heart. I just have to make sure I keep my sense of humor out of it. I keep my predilection for a little bit of darkness out of it. Um, now, when I say darkness, I'm not talking about depression or negativity, but I mean, in the stories that I write, I tend to kind of lean into the uh, <laughs> the suffering side of things and people in pain. That seems to be what I, I like to write about because um, I, I just, it, as has become clear, perhaps from listening to this or if you've read anything I've written on my blog, um, yeah. My, my default conviction is that we've all got pain. I, I, I don't think that's a controversial thing to say at all. And I like to write about characters who are finding a way to sort of live with that, deal with that, accept it, come face to face with it, succeed, fail, but sort of keep it real, I guess, um, which is whether it's obvious or not, it's kind of what I try to do in, you know, when I write, when I, when I do the podcast and it's definitely a through line in, you know, wherever I'm expressing myself or meeting, um, (laughs) meeting, meeting the public, meeting other people in whatever capacity. That's kind of where I'm at. That's my, that's where my compass is a lot of the time. And it's contrary to how it sounds. I mean, I'm not like, I, I'm not scrutinizing people going, where's the pain? Let's relate on pain levels. Are you in pain? How much? Me too. Look at us. We're in pain. Aren't we so human? Isn't it lovely to be the same humans in pain? Um, no, I mean, that's not it. I mean, th- th- those conversations or those revelations happen organically. Organically, I hope. They happen with lots of manure, lots of manure and fresh air and natural nutrients, no chemicals. Okay, no chemicals, lads. Just keep the chemicals out of it. Anyway, let me just return to fear and anxiety and that post, that article that I wrote. Because what I didn't say in that article, and remember, this all comes back to me saying about hats and heads and what's under your head and what's in your head. Throughout that period of increasing anxiety, there was another backdrop. Now, apart from breaking down, relocating from across the world, moving back home with no jobs, no place to live, minimal savings, all of that, the stress of that, and the pandemic, of course, being the the, the huge cloud over and through all of that. The other backdrop really in my own thinking, in my own thinking was all will be well. Now, that's not an anxious thought, quite the contrary. That is a very positive thought. And I was thinking about it 
after I wrote the, the, the piece on, on, on the clear out. And I realized that, yeah, I mean, throughout all of this, there was that message in my head going, no, no, keep faith, keep feeding into the things you like, keep feeding into things that you know nourish you, make you strong, keep you focused, help you sustain your positive energy. Keep leaning into all of that and eventually, you know, something will happen. Something's going to give. And in those, you know, in that week or two after uh, I'd written the piece and I suddenly kind of had a burst of being just quite a bit more motivated and proactive and, you know, made some things happen. And then I got the expression of interest from the meditation app, Aura. Feel your aura. Um, I just thought, oh, okay, cool. I wasn't wrong. I wasn't wrong to keep faith with this idea. And I immediately expressed it to myself uh, this way. I said, oh, the little hippie who lives in my head was right. And I suddenly visualized this hippie sitting in a little room like a little a little wooden room a little cabiny room in my head sitting at a desk smelling of patchouli with long greasy hair sitting at his desk with a pencil and a few sheets of paper cross-legged on his little chair writing away very happily with a little vase of flowers on his desk. Maybe some incense burning pungently in the corner. And, of course, this little hippie in my head is stark naked. (laughs) And I'm like, hey, hippie. He's like, hey, man. I'm like, any chance you could put on some clothes? No, man. That's not how I roll, man. I'm comfortable with who I am. And I'm like, okay, okay. Um, Do you have any objection to soap? No, man. I don't need some product to clean my body. My natural oils will be self-cleansing. Oh, okay, cool. I'm just going to stand back a bit. Hey, man, you do it. You, you do what you have to do. You do you. I'll do me. But don't forget, I am you. All right, man. I'm like, oh, okay, hippie. Uh, cool. So, yeah, there's, there's that hippie who lives in my head that's like, hey, man, just calm down. It's okay. You're going to be all right. Now, there's other people who live in my head as well. There's probably some angry psycho who lives in my head in in a dark room, just punching walls and breaking things and screaming. And some intense heavy metal music is like playing at full tilt 24-7. And he's in another room in my head that, yeah, I think mostly is soundproofed. So I don't hear him too much, which is nice. 
because I don't really want to be in that room very often, <laughs> if ever. <laughs> but, you know, my hippie head, my hippie in the other room goes, it's all good, man. He's doing him. But don't forget, him, he is also you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, these are these are my, 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 my cohabitants, uh, which is which is exciting, exciting stuff. Yes. So what's what's the message? The message is, I don't know. I don't know if that speaks to you at all. I am unafraid to have these multiple. I don't have a split personality or anything like that. I'm thinking of that movie Split. The um, it's, it's gas. After all these years, I still cannot pronounce that uh, director's name. The guy who wrote and directed The Sixth Sense, and it was such a revelation, and we all thought it was so amazing. M Night. Shyamalan, Shyamalan, It's ridiculous. Some I don't know. I don't know what it is. Some names I just don't stop and take the time to look at them, sound them out, get them in my head. You just see them and they just go somewhere else in your brain because it's, the name's so distinctive. You, you don't have to stop and go, "Who is that guy?" Because you know it. But anyway, you know who I'm talking about. But he wrote, he wrote and directed that movie Split, which is probably several years old now. With the um, the Scottish actor James McAvoy, who talented actor James McAvoy, good guy. I think the first time I saw him was on Shameless. Uh, later, um, taken over to America with William H Macy in it, but my agent, my acting agent in London. I'm no longer no longer with him. Um, I remember one time going over to see my agent, and for some reason he ended up telling me how great James McAvoy was. Like he'd seen James McAvoy in his like end of end of training showcase performance and was like, yeah, Jamie McAvoy is great. And I'm like, why the fruitcake are you telling me this? No actor wants to hear about how another actor is great. You don't want to hear that from your own agent. You want to hear that you're great and that they're very excited about the opportunities <laughs> they're going to find for you. Um, and I think the the same agent confirmed that James McAvoy is quite small, quite short. So I was consoled slightly by that. You know, to take his shortness for his career, I'd be like, yeah, no problem. You can cut my legs off at the knees and I'll happily be a, a James McAvoy proxy. And he's he's Scottish. So, you know, he's a fellow Celt. Um, so that's that's nice as well. Um, now, oh yeah, the, the personalities, the split personalities. Uh, I don't have one of those, one of them conditions. Um, I just think I'm quite comfortable with going, yeah, these are different aspects of who I am. And that's the takeaway. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to have these, these different sides of ourselves and we can, we can validate them. And ultimately, I mean, ultimately they are, uh, an iteration of an emotion or they are an iteration of a belief that we have about ourselves. I mean, I think that's, that's probably what it is really through our experiences, through our, our, our learned kind of um, I don't know, the, 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 the kind of shaping formative experiences for better or worse, how they've kind of, you know, locked in somewhere in our psyche. And it's not just one entity. It's like they're, they're, they're separate. They're separate parts of us. 
that coexist, not always harmoniously. Um, but one is not more valid than the other. And this, I think, can speak back to what I was talking about uh, talking about before, about reaction and response. So how we choose to live primarily, how we choose to live with ourselves is what's going to dictate, I think, all of our happiness and wellness and contentment and resilience. And it's not about being self-obsessed or self-absorbed or, you know, on a big, it's all about me thing. But that challenge of coming to peace with ourselves is, that's the big one. That's the, that's the one which can, when resolved or when living in a better place can just allow us to turn outwards and that's the thing. I mean, that's what you want. You want to turn outwards and engage with life and engage with the people you love, engage with the people you're interested in and put your energy into the things that turn you on. Um, yeah. Imagine if you're a machine and the thing that turns you on was a cat. So, yeah, you're a little machine that dispenses cat food, little dry pellets of cat food and the cat has to play with you to turn you on and you release pellets and the cat is happy and then you lie there on your side in that corner of the room where the cat comes to messily eat, garble and gobble and schnaffle its food. Cats aren't tidy eaters, I have to say, well my cat isn't. The bloody mess around her eating area i mean it's i don't know what the hell is going on it's like it's a it's like a, an eating orgy um you know whatever her i mean maybe like her body is sitting still but you know her mouth is acting independently and it's wild and everything just gets gobbled and splattered and i'm looking at the wall and the floor and the water bowl beside where she eats going what the hell You've only got a small little mouth, cat. Just eat the blooming food and put it in your bloody mouth instead of spraying it everywhere. But maybe she's just getting old and maybe that's how some people talk to their grandparents or their aged parents when food's falling out of your mouth. Can you just keep it in your mouth, please? Yeah, that's the, uh, that's the, that's the circle of life, isn't it? Isn't that what Elton John sang about? You know, starts with babies spraying food all over themselves and ends with old people doing the same. I, I'm i not mocking, I swear. I, I don't mean to offend anyone. But, uh, you know, stick a bib on there, Bob, will you? Okay, sorry. Sorry, Bob, if you're listening. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm not sure if there's any conclusion. I felt there was another hat story. The hat. The hat. The hat was worn, the same trilby was worn through the first year or two of university. Again, I see myself walking through university in a, I mean, a trench coat and a trilby hat and nothing else that vaguely resembled a gangster and a 40s gangster at that. I don't know what the hell I was thinking, but I was having fun. And that's the main thing, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. Okay, well listen, 
I just started speaking and I didn't stop. And you can probably tell that was a little bit, a uh, little bit of a ramble. But there you go. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Of course, you can read any of my stuff on theclearout.com and you can continue to listen to the podcast wherever you get it. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, on the Acast player um, that I may have sent out to you once or twice recently. So there you go. Listen, look after yourselves. Stay positive. Don't be afraid of those voices in your head. Be kind to the hippie. Check in on the guy in the angry heavy metal room once in a why. Once in a why? Once in a why? Once in a how? Once in a when? Once in a while. Right. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you real soon. Mind yourself. All the best. Bye.